You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning, Riverside. So amazing to see all of you here and uh, great to be able to worship with you today. Pastor Bill and I switched sites this morning. So if you're new or newer to the church and I've not had the chance to meet you, typically you'll see me up at the Pittsburgh Mills campus and I would love the opportunity to get to meet you afterwards. I'll be down here right around the front. And if you have questions about Riverside or about finding and following Jesus or about the content of the message or group life or, you know, what kind of donuts do you get in the back? You know, whatever it is that you have questions about, just come see me. I would love the opportunity to get to put a name and a face together. Today we are in part four of a message series entitled Stop at Nothing, and I'm going to get into that in just a few minutes, but uh, because I don't get down here very often, I wanted to share with you just a little bit uh, on, my, on my personal life, if, I, if you'd allow me to do that. I'm going to do it either way, but it'd be nice if you could say, yeah, that, that's okay. Uh, uh, for those of you who are brand new today and you have no idea who I'm talking about, just bear with me. I promise we'll get into the text in just a minute. But several of you have asked, and it's always easier to kind of collectively tell the family all at one time. Joshua, you remember that little redheaded boy that used to run around? Well, a month ago this weekend, I got to officiate his wedding. And uh, he and his wife, Olivia, yeah, that's great. You can put the photos up on the screen. They got married on June the 30th at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It was a beautiful day. We had so much rain during that period, but God in heaven parted the clouds, and we had a nice sunny day with a breeze. They got married in the backyard of Judy Cox's house, which is right up behind the Mills campus. My son grew up going to that uh, house uh, every time he could get an opportunity running around in the yard barefoot, and he got married in the yard barefooted. So uh, that was awesome. Had a great experience. Uh, he and his wife, Olivia, uh, are now living in Chandler, Arizona. It's a suburb of Phoenix, where he is a worship pastor on staff at a very large church there, three campuses. And so he's one of the campus worship pastors. And it's been such a joy to be able to see them grow in Christ together over the last few years. They've known each other through our student ministry. So hey, if you're a student, check out Nexus Student Ministry. You might find your spouse there. My son did. So it worked out, uh, worked out well for him. So anyway, that's some photos. Thank you for letting me do that. Let's turn to God's word. Oh, the big question is always, did I cry? I bawled like a baby, okay? Let's just be honest, all right? I barely made it through the first 10 seconds, and I'm already crying, you know, as I went through it. So yeah, it was a good time. Uh, thanks for listening. Let's turn in our Bibles. So if you have a Riverside app, you're going to want the app out. If you didn't know you could download an app, we have an app that's free. Uh, welcome you to download that, and you can follow along today in the notes there. If you need a Bible, there are some in the chairs below you there. And basically, what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to turn kind of toward the back of your Bible. If you find the book of Acts, you're going to kind of want to be in that general vicinity. Typically, I ratchet down on one text, uh, and I really stay in that one text when I preach. But today, because of the nature of the content of this last message in this series, there is a, a spattering of verses from all over the New Testament writings. And so we're focusing on a man who was originally a persecutor of Jesus, who became a follower of Jesus. We know him today. In fact, if you're new to Bible, if you're new to Christianity or maybe exploring Jesus and the claims of Christ, you're going to hear Christians talk about this guy 
Paul incessantly. He wrote a ton of the New Testament letters, our, our New Testament scriptures. Uh, he was a persecutor of Jesus, as I said, but he, became, he went from Saul and he became Paul. And you're going to hear a lot about him, but today is a great day. If this is your first time to kind of this introduction of who this guy was, you can see his entire story from the verses that I've hand-selected out of the New Testament, which will really give you a, a real good picture. So let me, under, let me kind of set the backdrop, because again, if you're coming in brand new or you've been away for a few weeks on vacation, this is the final message in a four-part series. So this is a part of a larger theme where we've been talking about loving the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. Uh, in fact, that's the series premise of all of this. We're going all in. And when we love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then we can actually stop at nothing because of a very specific thing that the Apostle Paul, this guy wrote to one of his churches in Philippi. He says this there in Philippians 4.13. He says, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. So the premise again is that we can actually stop at nothing. We can keep going in our faith journey all the way to the final breath in this life. Or for some of us, we can start going today. That may be your story today. As you hear about Paul's life and his experience, you may be saying, hey, you know what? I'm actually gonna begin a relationship with Christ. I wanna begin to relate to my heavenly father through his son and what he did by grace through faith. And I can do that today. You can start that relationship with him. But for others of us, we're, we're kind of in that season where we wanna keep going. And maybe for some of us, we've stalled out. For some of us, we've gotten lazy. We've gotten distracted. We've gotten busy. And we would say over the course of our lives, you know, things happened and I was really going. I was really passionate in following Christ. But then I got kind of waylaid. I got kind of distracted. I got kind of maybe even a little bit lazy. Things happened. I got disillusioned. There was pain. There was difficulty. There was actually suffering and hardship. And I just said, whoa, I didn't sign up for that. And you look back over the course of your life and today you're sitting there and you're thinking, Maybe I kind of stopped going, but today I'll re-engage so that I can keep going. So the idea here is that you can keep going as you go all in. You can keep going because Christ gives you the strength to be able to do that through the good, through the bad, and even through the ugliest of the seasons of life that we have. And so I want to ask the question today, we put it in your notes, how do you keep going? How do you actually keep going? And we've looked at, in this series, we looked at John the Baptist, and we talked about him in the very first week prior to the coming of Christ. John was the guy who kind of looked forward and pointed out Jesus at the beginning. And then we looked at the second martyr, kind of right there in the life of Christ, right around his time, Stephen, two weeks ago. Last week, Bill looked at the apostle Peter, and today, like I said, we're going to land with Paul. And Paul is actually responsible outside of Jesus himself. Paul was responsible for more of Christianity as we have it today than any other person in history. This guy went all over the early uh, first century Mediterranean rim. In fact, you'll see the map there. You can see all the churches that he went and he planted. He planted and he strengthened churches and leaders. He equipped and mentored and discipled a lot of those early church pastors and helped them. He was so educated, so um, connected both to the Jewish world and to the Gentile world that he was really able to be in a very strategic place at the birth of Christianity. Though he was a persecutor at the beginning, he became the major player in the first century. And we're going to look at his life and the journey of how he actually would sit down with us today and, and, and answer that question. 
Because I think you all have that question throughout the course of your life is, how, how am I keep, keep going? I mean, this happens. I want to quit. I want to stop. I don't want to keep moving. Sometimes it's not even that intentional. You just get busy and you don't even realize it. And Paul would give us some really clear advice, some really clear wisdom in his own life about how he kept going over the course of his life. In fact, I would tell you today that Paul would say, you know what? I wrote 13 or 14 New Testament letters. I went all over Thessalonica and Berea and Ephesus and Corinth. I went all over to to Philippi. I went to all these places in the first century and I started all of these things but really, that wasn't what really, what, 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 what mattered wasn't all of that. It was the fact that Christ did all of that through me and lived in me and allowed me to be a part of the journey that he was giving my life purpose and meaning. So how do we keep going? I want to begin by looking at the start of Paul's life. I want you to begin to see how Paul's life, he started out as Saul. He was a Hellenist Jew, which means he was a Jewish man. He was born a Jew. In fact, in your notes, you'll see there in in one of his first uh, accounts in in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 22, he says this about himself. I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, and that was that meant by the fact that he was born in Tarsus, that's no ordinary city. It's a very uh, precious city, a very prestigious city, a very important Roman colony in the first century. He was brought up, though, in this city, meaning there he's referring to Jerusalem. So he's born a Jew, He's born in Tarsus. By the fact that he's born in Tarsus, he was born in this Roman colony, gave him Roman citizenship status, which is why at the end of Paul's life, he was not crucified because the Romans would not crucify their own citizens. It was too horrific and too brutal and too um, overwhelming for people who were citizens of Rome to be a part of that. And so it was too shameful and too ugly. So he was a Roman citizen. Notice what he says next. Under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was zealous for God. Now that guy, Gamaliel, is a first century Jewish um, rabbi, teacher of the law, Pharisee. He kind of had his own school there in Jerusalem. And Paul basically says, I had the right credentials. He was born in Acts 22. He tells us, I was born a Roman citizen. He had a Greek education. In Philippians, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee. In other words, he says, you know what? As far as my pedigree, as far as my heritage, I have confidence to put everything in the flesh. I've got all the right status all the right prestige, all the right power. In fact, look at what he says in Acts 23 of himself. He says, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. So this was like in the family line. He comes from this long line. We also know that he had a sister. We know at some point because he was a Pharisee in the first century that he was married. We don't know what happened to his wife. We don't know if she died or if she was uh, killed or perhaps if um, she rejected him as he began to follow Jesus. We don't know what happened to Paul, but by virtue of the fact that he's a Pharisee, that was one of the requirements to be a Pharisee in the first century was you need to be a married man. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, uh, he mentions actually the fact that Peter travels with a wife, and he could as well uh, if he had one at the time. And so you see here that this guy is a Jew of Jews, but he's got Roman status, He's educated, he's powerful, he was a tent maker. You'll see that in, um, 
Acts 18, meaning that he was bivocational. He would go into these churches, he would plant them, but they couldn't afford to pay him a salary. And so he would work all day long, making tents, selling those, making a business. And then he was raising up and developing leaders and starting churches and helping people find and follow Jesus. And here we are now, 2,000 years doing the same thing. Notice what he says to the church that he was a part of in leading in Galatia. He says, I, would, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Now, here's the thing. Notice the pedigree. Notice the status, the power, the authority, the importance. He was looked up to. He had all of the right things. He was born at the right latitude and longitude in history, in the right place. And Paul would say, that that could be a great asset or it could be a great problem. And in fact, for him, it became an issue. It became a problem because it resulted in pride and in arrogance for him. And he was keeping score up until a certain moment in his life where he would compare himself with others. And I don't think that's any different than what we do today. We compare ourselves with others. We keep score with others. Social media is a wreck for that, isn't it? I mean, you get back from your vacation, you think you've had a great time, and you look and saw what somebody else did, and you're like, man, I stink. My vacation was worth nothing. It's so easy to compare yourself in every arena to others, but there's no win in comparison. And in the, in the followership of Jesus, there's no place for keeping score. And so I think if Paul were sitting with us today over a cup of coffee, he would say, you know what? My answer, and the first thing I want to tell you when I think about how do you keep going is that we'll keep going when we stop keeping score. When you, stop keep, when you stop looking at others and comparing yourself to others, because what happens is sometimes that's a good thing and you feel good about yourself. And in fact, in Paul's case, he surely could have. But he came to the point when he came to faith in Christ that he realized that all the stuff that he'd built his whole life on was actually worthless. Notice what he says to the church in Philippi. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Notice he doesn't say, I, I know about him. He actually knew him. He had firsthand experience with Jesus, his Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, all of my heritage, all of the pedigree, all of the education, all the power, the wealth, the importance, and the prestige, all of that, he says, I consider it worth nothing that I may gain Christ and be found in him. He says, I consider all of those things garbage. In fact, that word is very, very rough in the original language. It means rubbish. And in other translations, he says, dung. It's literally dung to him, all of those things, so that he could find Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God, on the basis of faith. Paul says, you know what? All that stuff that's good, I'm throwing all that away if it gets in my way, if it keeps me from moving forward, if it helps me to stop at nothing, I'll set all that aside. Now, here's the thing. We can relate to that, but there may be some of us here that we're from the wrong side of the tracks. 
We look in our relationships, we look in our uh, history, our heritage, and we don't come from wealth, and we don't come from power, and we don't come from status, and we're not well-educated, and we don't have it all together. In fact, we may find ourselves tempted to stop moving forward with Christ because we look at everybody else who looks like they have it together, and we say, what chance do I have in moving forward? So whether you come from the good side of this, looking down on somebody else, or you're coming from what we might consider the downside of this, looking up to somebody else, here's the thing. Paul is uniquely positioned to have coffee with both of us because this guy was a murderer. This guy had the darkest of darkest pasts in addition to all the prestige and all the addition, in addition to all the power and all the authority and all of the good stuff, he was also a man who was violent, who was angry. He was passionate for God, but it led him in the wrong direction. And he could stop. He could not keep going if he looked at that side of things for too long. Being religious did not shield Paul from being completely wrong. He missed the Messiah. Notice in Acts chapter seven, you studied this two weeks ago, but I wanna connect the dots so that you can see this. When we talked about Stephen and how he was martyred, he stopped at nothing for his faith. Notice that piece of the story and Paul's role in it. They dragged Stephen, they is the religious leaders, the pastors, the teachers, the Pharisees of the law there. They dragged Stephen out of the city and began to stone him. The witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named, help me out, Saul, who we know today is Paul. He approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church of Jerusalem, and all except the apostles, the closest 12 of Jesus, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Saul, what did he do? He began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. That's the background of Paul's life. So lest you think that you can't relate to Paul because you don't come from wealth and status and education and importance and authority, just keep in mind this guy's on the other end of the spectrum as well. In fact, he's arrested in Jerusalem a long time ago. In fact, if you've done time, Paul can say, I did time too. All the time, I was doing time. He would constantly get arrested and get into trouble. And in one case, he's actually standing in Jerusalem making a defense and he's relating back to this group of people a conversation that he had with the resurrected Jesus who was appearing to him and would appear to him and have these interactions with Paul. He's talking about and relating that aspect of the story. Imagine, put yourself in Saul's place, in Paul's place. You're having to tell a group of people this. You're having to talk to the creator of your soul and the savior of your soul. This is what Paul says to Jesus. When the blood of Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Imagine his guilt. Imagine his shame of having to carry that. He wrote to Galatia, you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. In Acts 26, he says, I was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So this guy would tell you, stop keeping score. 
Whether you're looking down on others or where you're looking at up, up at others, stop keeping score. Run your own race. Do not compare yourself to others because if you find yourself doing that, you'll find plenty of reasons to stop going, to not keep going. But he would say, you know what? If you wanna keep going, you keep your eyes fixed on me and me alone. Now let's look and see the moment when Paul was transformed, when he came from Saul to Paul, because this is a great story and gives us very much more insight into these last couple of thoughts that Paul would give us. It says in uh, Acts chapter 9, notice the tense and notice how the story's written. This is actually written by Dr. Luke. He wrote Luke, the, the story of Jesus' life, the gospel of Jesus' life, but he also wrote the book of Acts. They're kind of like part one and part two. So Luke is a doctor and he's traveling on these missions trips with the apostle Paul. He's relating how Saul became Paul. Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, let me just pause there, the way was what they called early Christianity. It's because of what Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and people kind of mocked Christianity by calling them the way. He was looking for those who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, and another account he tells us it happens right about noon, suddenly a light that was brighter than the sun, like the Shekinah glory of Jesus, shows up from heaven, flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now go up uh, now get up and go into the city and you will be told, notice this, what you must do. Paul, you're going all in. I'm going all in for you. You're about to have a revelation of that. And then just a few verses later, he asks one, Jesus appears to one of his other followers there in Damascus. His name was Ananias. And he's having this conversation with Ananias about Paul. Notice what he says to him there. Paul is my chosen instrument to help me help me with these next three words if you would he's my chosen instrument to carry my name we're going to come back to that so don't lose that thought paul is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the gentiles and their kings and before the people of israel i will show him how he must and we don't like this part how he must suffer for my name and it's then and there that paul is baptized it's then and there that he's filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the, the thing that Paul would say is that that day, my heart was set free. That day, I didn't have to carry around my guilt and my shame and my anger. I didn't have to carry around that, that gnawing sense that I had rejected the creator of my soul, the creator of the universe. That day, I was able to move from guilt and shame, and anger, and supporting murderous activities, I was able to be set free. And I was set free from the law. I was set free from trying to jump high enough and duck low enough. I was set free from church attendance and trying to keep all the rites and the rituals. I was set free from all of that because real freedom comes when we no longer have to prove our freedom. We no longer have to prove our religion. His heart was set free and he would say, you know what? There's no way that you'll keep going 
until that happens for you. He'd say, we'll keep going when our hearts are set free. I no longer have to carry that weight any longer. I've been set free from performance, from the sacrifices, from trying to be perfect, from comparing myself with others. I've been set free. Paul never lost the fierce intensity that he had, but now it was directed in the right direction. It was directed to sharing that good news, the gospel of Jesus. By grace, through faith, we can come. It's not how good or how bad we are. It's how forgiven we are, how broken and how then healed we are by what Jesus has done. Notice there that he has this interaction with Jesus and, and Paul says, or Jesus says to Ananias, Paul is my chosen instrument. It speaks of his worth and his value. He belonged to Jesus and that he would identify with Christ. And then he says, I'm going to show, and Jesus says this to, to Paul, I'm going to show you what you must do. And then Paul spent the rest of his life doing exactly what Jesus showed him to do. Simple as this. Invest and invite. Invest, he would go into a community and he would invite people telling his story. Here's who I was and now here's who I am. And Jesus made the difference. And he would pursue the justice and the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God for every person by simply investing in them and then inviting. Investing and then inviting them into an experience like he had had with Jesus. And that's what he's inviting you and I to today as well. We'll keep going when our hearts are set free, when we're able to say, hey, here's who I was. And because of Jesus now, here's who I am. And have I arrived? Am I perfect? Absolutely not but I want you to know the grace and the mercy of a heart that has been set free. And when your heart is truly set free from the things that have shackled you and held you in bondage and in captivity in the past, you can invite others to experience the same heart set free that you've experienced as well. That's how Paul would say, you know what, that's, that's how I kept going. Because otherwise, all the suffering that I had to endure would not have been worth it. In fact, if you look at the story of Paul, you'll see it over and over again. He was in prison. He was beaten. One time he was stoned to death. They, they, they thought he died. And the Christians came back and they covered, uncovered him and he was still alive and he got up and they took care of him. He had persecution after persecution and betrayal after betrayal. And it was hard and it was difficult, but he suffered for the name of the one who had given himself for Paul. Here's what he wrote to Timothy in talking about all this. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now listen again. Listen to the heart that's been set free here. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in, uh, in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And then he says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 
That's me. And if you didn't know it yet, that's you. And Paul says, of whom I am the worst. There's been many a day where I would argue with Paul that, nope, that would be me. But Paul says, I'm the worst. But, he says, for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. If Paul were here today with you, he would want you to know that he was a broken man. He was a man who had made a ton of mistakes along the way. He had all of the best opportunities to begin life and was living life in first century Judaism at the top of his game. But when Jesus came into his world, it turned everything upside down and he realized that he was living with a performance mentality. He was living with this weight of leadership and weight of trying to be good enough and didn't even realize just how captivated he truly was until Jesus set his heart free and then everything changed. And he would want you to experience what he experienced, belief on the name of Jesus and the reception, a receiving of eternal life. That's how you begin the journey with Jesus. That's how you keep going every day. It's a renewal of that belief, a receiving of that grace and mercy. Did you notice all the words that Paul uses there? The elements of a heart set free, mercy and grace and faith and love. He acknowledges his sin. He takes responsibility and ownership but he also recognizes that he has been forgiven. And because of that, Paul would say, I keep going. I keep going. I keep going because I'm not keeping score. I stopped that. I'm running my race and my race alone. He would say, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm able to keep going. I keep going, Paul would say, because my heart's been set free. And then he would say, you know what? One other thing that's really important if you want to be able to keep going over the long haul in the midst of loss, in the midst of hardship and difficulty, in the midst of all the ups and downs, you'd say, you know what? You keep going when you live for a singular purpose, when you live to carry his name. Remember what you said out loud just a few minutes ago. Jesus said, I'm going to show him what he must do. I'm going to show him that he's been chosen. I'm going to show him what he's going to have to suffer, but he's all going to do it all to carry my name. And the truth is, we're here today because the generations before us carried his name and gave us the opportunity to hear the name of Jesus. And he's inviting us in our generation to the children that are downstairs right now to help carry the name to them, to go into your workplace to carry his name, to bear his name well. So where is it in this season of your life that Jesus is inviting you to carry his name well? And how are you doing with that? It's a tall order, but it's not impossible. He said, remember what he said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can even carry his name well. We, don't, we, we won't do it perfectly, but we can do it intentionally every day, looking for opportunities to carry his name well. How do you do that? You invest, you share your story, you care about other people, you invest in their lives, you look for opportunities to say, I do this 
in love and in the name of Jesus. Here's who I was. Here's who I am. That's how you begin to carry his name into every arena of your life. Notice Paul's attitude when he got a hold of this, when his singular purpose was to live to carry the name of Jesus. Notice what he writes, or what Luke records him saying. This is actually to the church leaders from Ephesus. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's about to be arrested. They'll never see him again. They have this interaction, and here's what he says to the leaders of the church in Ephesus. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. God did not waste any part of Paul. He did not waste his background, his training, his citizenship, his education, his mind, and yes, he did not waste even his weaknesses. And are you willing, am I willing, to let God do the same with us? You never know that all that he can do with you until you allow him to have all of you. And in Acts 20, he goes on to say, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing. I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. His message constantly was one of repentance and one of faith and coming to Christ by grace through faith. Not all the effort not checking the box that I came to church, so much more than that, so much deeper than that, so much grander than that. In fact, if that's your version of Christianity, you won't keep going along the way. You gotta be in it for the right reasons, to live, to carry his name. So what will it take for you to keep going? Or perhaps, what will it take for you to start going with Jesus? I think Paul, from what we've seen today, he'd simply say, stop keeping score. Run your race. Don't look at your wife. Don't look at your husband. Don't look at your parents. Don't look at your kids. Don't look at your boss. Don't look at your teacher. Don't look at your students. You own it for yourself. You keep going with a personal connection to me. Every day, opening up your Bible, cracking open your Bible, spending time with Jesus. Stop keeping score. Live with a heart that is set free. Allow Jesus to free you from the chains. You place your trust and your faith and your weight, the weight of all your past mistakes and failures. You do all of that. And then simply, you live to carry his name every day, no matter where you find yourself. Will it be hard? Yep. Is it always easy? Will you stumble along the way? Probably. But is there always grace and forgiveness? Absolutely. Paul, in writing to his young leader that he was discipling, Timothy, in the final days, perhaps weeks of his life, he penned these words. And as the worship team comes, I want us to prepare to worship and respond. He says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. It's Old Testament language the old, old sacrificial system that he's borrowing the language from. I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. 
and the time for my departure is near. He says, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all, that's me and you, to all who have longed for his appearing. Stop keeping score. Live, allow him to set your heart free. And then live to carry his name. And when it's your last moment, people will actually be able to see the difference in you. Those who have stopped at nothing, those who have gone all in and keep going all the way to their last breath can, with the Apostle Paul, hear the words of the Lord Jesus when you enter that first moment into eternity, well done, good and faithful servant. I imagine the day that Paul was beheaded in AD 67, that that's exactly the first thing he heard. What were those final moments like for Paul? Well, we actually have a record of it. In Fox's Book of Martyrs, handed down over generations, we'll put it on the screen, says that Paul the Apostle, who before was called Saul, after his great travail and unspeakable labors in promoting the gospel, that good news of Christ, suffered also in this first persecution under Nero. Nero, Nero was um, the Caesar the emperor of Rome, and he was blaming Christianity for everything that he possibly could, and there was a huge persecution. And it says that Abdias declareth that under his execution, Nero first sent two, es two of his esquires, Farragut and Parthemius, to bring him word of his death, of Paul's death. They, coming to Paul, instructing the people, desired him to pray for them. <laughs> they see something different in this guy. So these two esquires of Nero come and they want to experience what Paul's experienced throughout the course of his life, that they might believe. Who told them, Paul tells them that shortly after they should believe and be baptized right there at his sepulcher. This done, the soldiers came and led him out of the city to the place of execution where he, after his prayers made, gave his neck to the sword. He stopped at nothing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you don't stop at anything when it comes to us. Father, you have faithfully pursued us all of our lives. You keep going on our behalf. And Lord, we're so grateful that you don't keep score. Your heart is totally free, which enables our hearts to be set free. You represent your name flawlessly. We long for your Holy Spirit to grant us that same capacity. Because of Jesus, we can cease from comparing ourselves to others, comparing ourselves with others. And we can have hearts that are truly set free from those performance traps, from the guilt and the shame and the weight that we carry from our failures. 
We can wear the name of Jesus with confidence, with authority and humility. Lord, would you fill us with your spirit so that we'll stop at nothing, so that we'll keep going. We pray all of this in the name of the one who kept going and keeps going, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.